Welcome to the Andrew D'Angelo podcast. Constant Constance. Each week, Andrew, renowned jazz saxophonist and brain cancer survivor, invites us to look at the many worlds of his guests with conversations that cover all the arts, human resilience, a little bit of politics, and a lot of humour. You can't fail to have a fantastic time. Hey everyone, we're here today with the most amazing composer, guitarist, arranger, just brilliant and kind and very revered man, Mr. Bill Frizzell. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I, 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 as I mentioned during our break that I wanted to tell this anecdote. So it's it's about 1991, 92. I, I, I really did due diligence and looked on the internet. I could not find anything. But you said that you think you remember this gig. And I was the manager at Tower Records at the time, or the jazz department anyway. It was, it was big. It was a big jazz department. And one of my employees gave me this review. And I think it was jazz. It could have been jazz times or a preview of a concert you were doing with the drummer, uh, Joey Barron, a duo at the Institute of Contemporary Art on Newberry Street, Boylston Street. And it said, the reviewer said, Bill Frizzell is the greatest thing to happen to guitar since Jimi Hendrix. I was like, all right, I got to see this shit. <laughs> right? And so I go to the ICA and I probably was on the guest list. So I apologize. You didn't make any money off me for that gig. But uh Holy shit, that was such a great, amazing show, Bill. I mean, I, it, it, literally, that really is 20, at least 20 years ago. And you and Joey played duo. You were sitting for that show. So now, that show? Huh? now I can't remember. I thought I knew what, what this was, but now I don't remember. Was yeah, it? I'm not surprised, but could you be <laughs> impressed that that had such an impact on, on a young man at the time that I can remember it, you know, going on 60. I'm like, you know, <laughs> it was such a cool show. And you were doing, you know, that was back when people thought you were bending the guitar, right? I mean, isn't that what a lot of people yeah. were talking about? Yeah, they would say that, which is, I guess it was true. Um, right. Um, but wow, it was just duo with Joey. Right. And I think you were working uh, this record, Where in the World, with uh, Hank Roberts and Kermit Driscoll. Hank Roberts but, was playing cello, Kermit Driscoll, and Joey right. Barron. I think you were out promoting that record. I could be wrong, but it doesn't matter the details. I, it had just such a huge impact on me that I was, oh. I, I was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life, man. I just want to make music like that. Whatever that is. That's what I want to do. It doesn't really matter if you remember. I'm just giving you a compliment. That's all. Well, thank you. <laughs> but do you remember? Weren't you at the we at the Middle East Club? Do you remember that? Oh, you want to? All right, all right. Bro, um, go right there. So we we did that show because that was a was that would have been after that, right? That was after that. That was like a good year. Maybe two after that wow. with, with your band, with with also with Kermit and Joey, and I don't know was Hank in that band too. I'm not sure. I, I it 
I think Hank might have still been in there at that if or else it might have just been trio but but that's where I remember first we maybe that's where we actually met. I yeah, think. no, I didn't meet you at the ICA. I, we met at the Middle East and we did a double bill with Human Feel and your band. And um, excuse me. And I'll never forget. Two things. After the show, we were sitting at a table. It was I think it was Crispy, Jim Black and Kurt Rosenwinkel and I. And you were talking to us. OK. And you were just telling stories and stuff. And we were just going, yeah, okay, cool. We're talking to Bill Frizzell, man. This is so cool. And then you said, oh, I'm probably boring you guys. We're like, no, 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 no. Keep going, man. And uh, and it was just such a monumental moment. I have so many of those. And apparently other people do. Sorry, just like tearing up a little bit here. But, it, it, it you know, you said something to, I think, Tim Byrne, our uh, alto saxophonist friend. Um, man, those guys play their asses off. And we use that as a quote in our uh, press. <laughs> we, it said, those guys play their asses off, Bill Frizzell. Like, that was our, our big claim to fame, man. Do you remember that? Well, yeah. I mean, you did. It was the whole <laughs> night. No, it was amazing. Like, where did these guys come from? <laughs> I don't know where we came from, man. Because we didn't know. I didn't know anything about any. When I think, like, think about that, all you guys, man. And then I found out later that Kung Vu was at that gig, too. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wow, what a convergence right there, you know. Like a, a prediction or something, a foreshadowing of the future or something like this, right? <laughs> I, I I guess it's one of those things where, you know, I do, I, I do uh, where I post on social media. I don't know if you saw the post. I tried to hide it from you as best as I could or your wife. Oh, I, I, I swore that off a few months ago. So I did, haven't seen. Oh, man. So and so I, I, I ask people if they have questions for you. Right. And um, one of the things was that quote those guys play their asses off. And he's like, I remember that man. And then by the way, this whole conversation and or interview, whatever you want to call it, I could literally just read the social media questions that your fans have for you. Um, and I'm happy to do that, but it's just, you're so revered, dude. I mean, people love you. They love you and are so, and including <laughs> Reed Anderson, who, when you and I were texting yesterday, who I just spent time with was talking about, the trio with motion uh, on the drummer, Paul motion, and then Joe Lovano, tenor saxophone. And, and, and he, Reed goes, would you please ask Bill to talk about that trio? Like even Reed Anderson's like, Hey, would you ask Reed? I mean, uh, would you ask Bill? <laughs> it's awesome, man. It's so awesome. Well, <laughs> what? I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm thankful. I get, you know, <laughs> What you want me to talk about the trio? I mean, personally, I feel like you're very well documented. You've done a lot of interviews. I've seen stuff about you talking about your pedals. You like your Telecaster, um, <laughs> right? And I mean, I've heard just there's just so much about you. Maybe the one thing Reed Anderson was talking about is, you know, we haven't heard much about that trio. I mean, I've played with motion, right? So I, I've heard from Paul a little bit, but 
yeah, if yeah. you don't mind talking about no, it. I mean, that that whole relationship with Paul was just, I can't even begin to tell you how how important that was in my life. You know, um, it's weird. We're talking about Boston, and that's, I might be going back too far, but uh, in in 1975, I went to Berkeley, and that's where I met Pat Matheny. He was in town at that time. It was before he even started his own band. You know, he he was. I'd go to these gigs like like he put up these flyers. On Who, Matheny the, was putting up flyers. Yeah, like wow. at Club Club Zerk on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Pat Matheny, it was handwritten with a magic marker. Wow. It says, you know, it says Pat Matheny, Bob Moses, and from Florida, Jocko Pastorius, you know, like, <laughs> like nobody knew who Jocko was. Right. right. Yeah. And so that stuff was going on. And hmm. the, I, th- that's a whole nother story. But it was that time, you know, mid mid 70s. And I met Pat. And I asked Pat for a lesson and I went over to his place and we played a little bit and he liked me a lot. You know, he would, <laughs> he would show, you know, I'd be playing gigs around town and he would show up. And so a couple years later, I had, I'd left Boston. I went to Europe. I came, I finally got got up the nerve to move to New York. And, you know, I spent a couple years in New York, like, wow, what am I going to do? I'm, uh, you know, playing weddings and scuffling around. Wow. And I remember I was up again. I was in Boston. I went, I was, I, I went up to Boston to do a gig, like sort of in a holiday Inn kind of place or something. And I, I wasn't feeling too, it was things were looking kind of bleak, like, oh man, I just drove all the way up here and da, da, da. And I'm not, I wasn't really, you know, I was cleaning houses, um, doing, just trying to get by, you know, still getting to play with a lot of my friends. (laughs) You know, it wasn't, I mean, there's no doubt that I was, I was, going to spend the rest of my life playing music there was that was no matter what but i i I was up in boston i drove back drove back we had this little apartment in new jersey and in the library the public library i had bought this not bought i borrowed it was paul motion's first album conception vessel and i had it was leaning on the floor of my apartment and the phone rings and hey man it's Paul Motion and I'm like what the <laughs> hell? you know right no way no way man right i could not believe i mean for me that was sort of the miles davis phone call you know they talk or whatever you know it was like the it was huge deal for me that he called and this was the reason I mentioned Pat was Pat was the one that he'd been doing some gigs with Pat Matheny and he was looking for a guitar player and Pat 
told him to call me wow. and I'll be ever forever <laughs> grateful. Yeah, thank you, right? Yeah, I mean, man, talk about and it was just it was such a huge cuz I was a just a big fan like one of the very first concerts I went to in high school first downbeat magazine I bought had Charles Lloyd on the cover and I and I thought wow he looks so cool I got to check out what this is and so he's coming to Denver to play this is January 1969 and so I my friend and I got tickets for the concert I didn't even know what the music really sounded like I just thought he looked cool at that point so we went to the gig and the band was Charles and Ron McClure was playing bass and Keith Jarrett was playing piano who we didn't know who that's the first time I ever heard Keith and Keith Jarrett. Paul, yeah. And, yeah. And Paul motion was playing drums. It was right. I guess after Jack DeJanette had left the band or something. So, so, you know, one of the first concerts I or jazz, if we can use that word concerts I saw was I saw Paul and then you know, that, that was just open this, the door. Uh, then I went out and bought Keith's first trio record. And that was the first time I ever heard Charlie Hayden play was on that album. And one thing leads to another, you know, I never could have imagined that I'd be getting a phone call from that guy, <laughs> like some, however many years it's weird. It's not even that many years later. It's 69 to to 81. How many? 12 years. A lot happened in that time, you know. So did did you you actually recorded with Charlie's daughter, right? Am I correct? Or oh yeah, yeah, quite a bit. We've done a yeah. bunch of things together. And um I, I and I I I guess it's one of those things. I was at um Kenny Garrett's house in New Jersey in the oh. late 80s when he got the call from Miles. Oh, what? Whoa. Yeah. And so I just I want to tell that story. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, using so I'm, awesome. I'm using you. I'm using you right now, Bill. But no, I was I, I was that. at Kenny's house and he, he goes, you know, old school. Like we didn't have cell phones then. it's 1986 or something like this. 87, whatever. And he, he goes, the phone rang. He goes, hold on. I got to grab this. And it was the call for miles. And he's like, you got to go, Andrew. And I was like, all right, cool. You, you know, he told me it was a call from miles. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. That, that is you know. so cool. And yeah. I mean, there's so many stories of guys hanging up on him because they didn't believe it. So right. Everybody, everybody did, would, you know, it's like, you're not, you're not Paul motion. <laughs> Come on. You wouldn't call me or you're not miles Davis. Right. I mean, but it, so, so, so Bill, you're, you're, I, you know, I know that place in Boston, the Holiday Inn. I think it was across the street from Fenway Park. And apparently, what's his name? The Babe Ruth used to go over there and drink during the seventh inning break. I mean, who knows <laughs> if it's true? But uh, they were having gigs there for a while. Is that the Holiday Inn that you well, played? Well, no, in? this was more, it was somewhere out in the outskirts of. Okay. I don't even remember. Like I mean, in, it just seems like people would be blown away that you actually had to do those kind of gigs at this point, you know? Well, no, I mean, that's, and, and I don't want to, some, I feel bad when I, I learned so much from that. And I, I feel bad when I sort of 
put those gigs down, you know, it's because there's a lot to be. There's something, you know, I was getting to play music. It just just wasn't really what my what I was dreaming about, you know. Well, well, so so when you tell us or tell my audience when when you say you learn so much, what are we learning from those gigs? I mean, what do you what's what's being learned? Well, about? I mean, you still have to know the song and and um you have to listen and and sometimes those would be some high moments, you know, when people are dancing and yeah. the music is happening, it's it's as good as anything, you know. But I mean, I remember another lesson it's i'm sorry to keep going back to boston all the it's time all, but it's all good man did, did you know tiger okoshi in boston i did yes i didn't he, know him well but I, I i i yes i mean he was soon after i went there we became really close you know and started a band together and everything you know he was my brother there and um but we would do those kind of gigs together. And we I remember one night we did, it was way up north shore above Boston. We did this gig and I'm like, man, uh, I'm grumbling. And we had to play beer barrel polka. Oh, wow. And, and I was like. I would pay good I, money to hear you play beer barrel polka, man. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, because I can play it now. But at the, on <laughs> that night. No, that night I'm thinking, oh man, beer barrel polka. You know, I have to play the melody, and I'm just I sort of fumbled around and I'm kind of laughing and you know, oh, this is some lame. And you know, and I got through the gig, and then we're we're driving back down to Boston, and Tiger was like, Man, he really put me down. He said, Man, you gotta, you can't be, you think you're so great, you know, you can't even play the melody. (laughs) You gotta play the melody correctly you know don't you can't be making fun of the gig and you know i mean that was like kind of a it was a strong lesson for me you know what you said like whatever you're playing you got to put everything into it and try to make something out of it you know and so that i i think i'd learned something from that right but you 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 learned something that's it was more philosophical than it was about anything else right it, it, well i also that i just couldn't play the melody. i better you know <laughs> okay. like stuff that i like you know don't be i shouldn't be making fun of stuff i better actually play it before then, you can play it then you can make fun of it right is that yeah, fair yeah well i guess so even then well then you realize <laughs> then maybe by, by learning it then you realize wait a minute i sh- i better just shut my mouth so my grandpa, my grandpa Schroeder used to sing the beer barrel uh, polka and it, he used to play it on his organ. He had one of those, oh, wow. like in your house. It's not a pump organ. Is it a pump organ? What do you call or, that thing? Just a regular well, like organ. And he would, yeah. he would play and sing beer, beer barrel polka, but it was just like, <laughs> but, I, but I, I think, I think that. And, and if we get a chance to get into some of the comments and questions people have for you, it, it it's a lot of people wonder how do you get from point A to point B or point A to point Z? Like how, how 
how do you become Bill Frizzell? Like when somebody's 23 or 25 or 28 or whatever age they are, and they meet you now or hear meet you musically now, they hear your records. You know, I think it's important to understand that, you know, all of us have done wedding gigs. We've all done parties. And, uh, and to be honest, I kind of miss an aspect of music where people were kind of moving around yeah. and having fun while we're playing. I, no, I, I kind of miss it. I did a show the other night and, you know, I was like, you know, I just stopped in the middle of the song. I was like, if you if you want to talk or dance, you know, go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm over speaking my uh but I, I just what happened to that part of this music? I don't know. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's no, I miss that too. And what you know, earlier on when I was in high school, more playing, you know, I was playing in more like R and B bands or something, you know, that was it was amazing just playing for dances and stuff. That was so fun. Right. And 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 people were i mean in those days i mean they're having cigarettes and stuff right you remember the smoke like hovering over yeah. us in these clubs <laughs> and you know they're talking and they're not listening to the music i guess but they're just having a great time and mm -hmm. i like what I'm, I'm kind of thinking like what happened to that and maybe i'm overstating it but i'm also trying to provoke something here and see if you have a, a commentary on it you know yeah i mean well, you can't smoke anymore. Well, yeah, forget this. I know everybody always focuses on that. All right, you can't smoke anymore. Fine. But you get my point. Like, what happened? Yeah, no. It was part of the, you know, party. Yeah, no, there's just something becomes so precious or something. I don't know. There's something, something happens maybe in the music when when the audience is not absolutely like just, Oh, like a maybe you can take more chin. You know, there's something kind of cool. I don't know if this something like a you know. There's sometimes there's these solo guitar gigs or something in a bar, and people are just talking, and there's something kind of great about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I you agree. Just, I agree. Just play tune. You just you can work on your stuff. You know, it's not so precious. You know, it's. Uh, to the, I mean, it is to you. You can be playing some real music and not like feel like you're under a microscope or something. Bill, I'm going to ask you a very hard question, okay? And I, I and this is from one of your fans, and I hope you're ready for it. All right. Uh oh. Okay. okay. So this is from Danae Greenfield. Do you know her? She's a fantastic keyboard player, pianist, young uh -huh. young lady from Seattle. Uh -huh. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, she's been on the show. She's amazing. And she says, what's his favorite pair of socks? I distinctly remember seeing him at the university of Washington, uh, university of Washington several years ago. And he had some crazy socks on. <laughs> oh. You're into your socks. Come on, man. No, I like socks. And that seems like the one area where I can, Flourish. <laughs> I don't know. I've got all kinds of bunch of stuff. I'm more and more conscious of how socks are like to get a comfortable sock. I mean, that fits right. And how come they only come in this one sock? Like, 
you know, I don't know. It's hard to get just the right ones. And the the ones that are just the right amount of sort of squishy enough. And <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I know it's a tough question, man. I mean, I apologize, but it's just, you know, I think it's important. And Danae is amazing. You should check her out. I'll, I'll uh, you're not on social media, but I'll, I'll try to connect you somehow. Yeah. I want to, was she, she's in Seattle, you said? She's from Seattle, which is oh. how she became aware of you because she went to some workshop or masterclass at the UW. Oh, wow. Maybe I met. I'm yeah. Woman. I'm terrible that way too. She, she, she doesn't claim to know you. She just said, I went to this master class or whatever at the University of Washington. So it's no big deal. But one thing that we were talking about during the break, Bill, is this whole idea of getting back to how we felt um, as children, like, you know, that school concert or whatever it was, you know, that first gig we did, even if it was a wedding, like, you know, just excitement. And one thing for me, when, when we were having the pandemic, and I took some time off for music and then, you know, finally did a, a live show with a, a real audience. It just was like, I felt that energy again. I felt, oh my God, I'm actually enjoying this. And I'm not trying to be dark, but there have been days where I'm like, oh my God, I got to finish this piece or I, I have to do this show and I want to get it over with. I, I, I'm just being honest and I haven't talked about this yet. And I'm not saying that you're that way, but do, do you want to speak to that? I mean, you know, getting back to that place of, you know, what? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, yeah, I mean, that the, I, I was thinking about that, trying to be in that zone where you don't understand right. what's going on. Like that's, uh, you know, as as we get older, like, I don't know if it was, I just recently had my 70th birthday and I'm like, wow. Like what is going on, you know? Right. Like, and there, I mean, there's this accumulation. Like we're all, like you're a musician, right? You want to learn. We're we're studying. We try to figure stuff out. And there's this accumulation of. Again, I'm thinking of Boston again. I keep you keep. I don't know what this is. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, but you know, I went to Berkeley, and I I've had all these teachers, and I, there's. I keep trying. I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to figure stuff out. But there's this thing that happens. So there's all this mass of information that's built up. And, but the place I want to be at when I'm like during this pandemic, I wrote piles like, look at this. This is like all filled up with stuff that I wrote every wow. day, right? Wow. It's just, it's absurd. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. No, it's not. I don't, I have no idea what it is, but I just, you know, I woke, the first day I grabbed my guitar and I just started strumming away and writing stuff down. So just page after page after page of, I don't even know if it's music or what it is. No one's played it yet. So I don't know except me. And then I, by the next day, I've forgotten what what it was. But what I'm getting at is all this, when I'm writing, I keep thinking about how can I be in this state where I'm not letting all this conditioning push me into something that I, I know is going to work. I mean, 
I'm trying to listen in my head and be in that spot like where I didn't know what was going to happen next, or I didn't know, like you hear something and you try to, you can't quite grasp it, but you reach for it without, uh, using some sort of falling back on something that I learned in Boston. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying exactly, but I, I'm just, I've been thinking about that a lot as, as I'm getting older. I'm, I, I want to stay in that zone where, where I don't know what's coming next, whether it's something I do or the, you know, the people that I'm playing with, that's, that's the, I think that's the, joy of getting to play with people too is which was so difficult during this time where i was just in my own head all the time but when you're with other people and you're have to respond you're constantly being surprised and thrown off by the people you're with hopefully that's what i'm looking for too do you mind if i interject something here or no, no. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's um, it, it's one of those things where when I and and I'm just going to make this about me because I don't want to like put put words or like say what you're going through. But when I just didn't feel like practicing and uh, also was writing music a little bit and just didn't even know what it was for. And then I did the show and my lips were kind of hurting and maybe my technique wasn't so great, but there was just something about it that felt good. I have to be honest. Yeah. There was just something about it that felt good. I couldn't play the stuff that I knew how to play. I could, I was very limited yeah. and I had to take breaks. You know, I was like, you know, I just need to like sit back and, you know, either talk to the audience or just chill. And it, I have to be honest, it felt kind of good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. That like you, you had time to forget what you, right? What, what you knew or something. And, no, Maybe. I've had that same. When finally, when I've gotten to do a few gigs late lately too, it's just wow. That thing where you actually feel. For me, it was something about this connection with the people I was with. Like wow, we hit that downbeat just at the right time together or something just these super subtle like simple if not subtle right oh yeah but but the most the best stuff you know just that hooking up thing i think that's something that i i noticed when when you and joey baron and kermit were playing together just the way you were dancing around together on stage and like you know I, I don't even know how to put it into words. It, it, it was just something like that. And that was like 800 years ago. And even Hank, although I think Hank was always this kind of wild card floating around, but uh, it's, I love that band and I hope Kermit's doing well. I haven't heard anything from him in a while, but uh, yeah, it's been a while. That was a great band, but, but in that vein, at least two people said, you know, when I asked if they had questions for you and they say, you know, he is so versatile. I wonder if there's anything on his bucket list still, like, is there anything that, and then another person said, is there any record that that's from Arletta? Uh, given all your successes, you bill, not me. 
diverse projects Bill's done throughout his career. Is there anything that he has tried to do in the past that maybe he didn't get picked up by a label? I'm just reading the exact words here by a label or get support needed that he'd like to still do. So there's two people that were wondering, like, is there anything you want to do that you haven't done? I mean, that's, I've never really had, that's where I've been so lucky too. I I don't have any, I usually don't have specific goals. You know, it's like, there's these, it's like opportunities keep sort of presenting them or challenges or sort of are dropped in front of me and I deal with them. And that's, that's what sort of leads sort of a combination of that, you know, whatever my own, where my imagination is taking me and then just amazing opportunities keep presenting themselves. You know, I don't have a, in two years from now, I want to have done this or that. It's just, I'm just sort of in the process all the time of just working on stuff. And it, and I've been really like the, I think the second question was something where they were asking about if I didn't get funding for something or, or some, that's where I've been unbelievably lucky looking back for the, over the last however many 40 years or whatever it is where I've had opportunities with record companies and stuff to, to do pretty much just bam, 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 you know, every year or something, I've been able to do some kind of record. I don't know how much longer that can go on the way, you know, the whole world is so different now, but, but I, that's been amazing that I've been able to record that much document that much of what I, what I'm doing. Right. So, so the, the real question is, or, and, and this is something that I've thought, thought about a lot in, in my life. Is it luck? Is it really luck, Bill? Or are you just fucking brilliant? And I apologize for the cussing. You're not much of a cusser, but I mean, are you, is it really luck? I mean, come on. Well, there's gotta be some of that. I mean, or it's persistence. You're talking about Paul. I mean, I think part of stubbornness, I mean, Paul said I was the most stubborn person he ever met. Maybe that doesn't come across now as, you know, I'm this Mr. Nice guy or whatever it is, but, but that, I think that has something to do, you know, back when I first started dreaming about playing when I was, you know, I don't know how old I was, 12 or something. It just kept this. It just, that was all I wanted to do. And I've just, I mean, I remember there was a, I remember a moment. There was a specific moment I was teaching in a music store in Denver and I had no real hope of I was living in this little sort of transient flea bag apartment downtown Denver teaching music lessons and but I've just made this decision it was a conscious decision like no matter what happens, 
I don't care if I ever get a gig or anything. All I'm going to do for the rest of my life is just play this guitar because that's the only thing I wanted to do. I wasn't thinking about, of course, it would be nice to get a gig and everything, but I just, it was a conscious decision to just, that's what I loved and that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, so you see, so, I mean, there's somebody like me who was a gig meister in, from very young, like age 14 or 15, where, I mean, I wanted to play music, but I also wanted to have gigs. Like it was very conscious on my part. I had my own big band and then I had my own band. I was writing my own music. I'm like, just this is what I, I wanted to play music, but I also wanted to. And then at a certain point, it, you realize that that's just, that's not the goal, right? The goal is the passion. And so, so it seems like if, if you're being honest, which I believe you are, that you really just always wanted to make music. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Well, but oh, no, but then, yeah, also it would, I thought it'd be cool to have a job. Play. That was the other thing. I remember another moment, very clear. I must've been in fourth grade or something. Cause I was, my mother was driving me to get, my new glasses at the, and it was on East Colfax street in Denver. And uh, so I was like, how old was I? 10 years old or something. I'm going to get my first pair of glasses. And we're on this, you know, I don't know if anybody knows Colfax in Denver. It's, it's kind of the, what would you call it? You know, there used to be a lot of neon signs and motels and, uh, it's like the strip. I, I was born in Greeley. We lived in Greeley. Oh. Yeah. And we lived. <laughs> I, no, I'm sorry. I was born in Greeley. We lived in Boulder. And I think we may have transitioned in Denver. Did I know that? I no. didn't know that. You did not know that. Oh, my God. Well, you know Colfax then. Yeah, Colfax. That's like the Las Vegas strip of, of Colorado, in my opinion. But I could be wrong. Yeah. It's like it used to be the main east, west. It turns into the highway that you can drive all the way to. Yeah, there's like strip malls and neon signs and all this stuff. It was like, yeah. it's like the Las Vegas Strip, in my opinion. But, I, I, you know. But but so anyway, I'm 10 years old and I see this man, like a grown man with a suit on. And he's carrying a guitar case, just walking down Colfax. And I thought, man, that is like the coolest thing. That's like, <laughs> look at this. He's a man and, he, and he's got a job and his job <laughs> is playing the guitar. Right. It's so cool. Right. And I thought that that sort of really, wow, that's pos That's something that people do. Like it's a job. Yeah. And then I would, and then, you know, later I would see like on TV, you know, I'd see, I'd watch the Lawrence Welk show because I'd see the guys playing their guitars or or I remember seeing I think it was some really early Joan Baez or somebody like that was on some variety show on TV and and there was just a guy standing behind her you know she was singing and playing her guitar and then there was this other guy in the back just kind of playing little stuff behind her. And that, man, that, oh man, that would be amazing, you know, <laughs> to have a job you, like you, that. You want to be that guy in the background. You don't want to be Joan totally. Baez. You no, want to be I that guy be, in the background. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so cool. No, that was, I thought that was like incredible. Can I tell you something, Bill? And it's a little bit of a transition. Feel free to go back. But I had Luke Bergman on the show. 
Oh, and, wow. And I feel like Luke is even more that person than you are. Like, he does not oh, want man. to be called out. What? Sorry. He, if you want to. No, be, he's, I love, he's like pure music. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be known. And after the interview, he's like, well, he's like, I hope you got something out of that. It's like, Luke, you're, you're amazing. You play with Bill, right? You do this amazing music on Frizzell's records and shows and everything. And you're just in a, this brilliant guy. And he's like, yeah, but I just don't really want anybody to know who I am. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah no, that's true. Yeah, I mean, he's singing on your records. He's playing cello, right? He's playing bass, right? Baritone bass. Yeah, and, and, and arranging. Man, he's makes these, like, the band that we do often is this thing called Harmony. You mentioned Petra Hayden, like, it's Petra Hayden and Hank and Luke, and they all sing and stuff. And Luke has done a couple of these arrangements of his sense of harmony and stuff. It's just it's, un- amazing. It's it's un it's it's amazing. And I, you were gonna say on something. It's unparalleled, in my opinion. Like you know, when you think about these people from the these arrangers from the '60s or the ones from the 30s 40s i mean luke is on that level for me and but he's just so humble and he kept like dismissing himself during the interview i'm like luke i'm having you on because i think you're brilliant man right and you're working with frizzell and so he's that guy behind joan baez right like (laughs) like and so everybody's so like so like who's luke luke bergman how many views will his interview get you know, like 36 or something. But I'm like, no, this is the reason that Frizzell sounds the way he sounds at, on, at, at sometimes when you guys. Yeah, work. totally. You agree with that? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the guys. I mean, that's what I, I'm drawn to people that they just, they, they're coming from the most deepest inner part of the music. You know, he understands all the levels of the music that are going on at any time. You know, he's coming from the inside. Those are the people that all, like when I listen to music, that's what gets me off. It's not like the, what's so much what's out in front, but like if I listen to Miles Davis quintet, it's like, wow, did you hear what Herbie just played that one thing? (laughs) You know, it's, it's it's the way stuff is, like the inner workings of a, of an old watch or, you know, the way the insides are working. That's what, that's what gets me really fired up. Right. And I, I'm like, I'm like, look at me, look at me, look at how great I am. Right. Like, (laughs) right. No, I have this. Can I tell you a Paul motion story? Let me just tell you a quick Paul motion story. So we're doing the Vanguard, right. First night, you know, that classic rehearsing, the first night of the show, like during sound check, you're rehearsing, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we're playing with Bill McHenry, Ben Street on bass, and uh Dwayne Newbakes and Paul Motion on drums. Wow. <clears throat> and we're rehearsing, and Paul stops the band and he goes, and he didn't know me that we met on stage, and he goes, Alta players too loud. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> No, but, you know, because I'm like, look at me, look at me. Right. And Paul just like picked up on it immediately. I thought that was kind of like, fun, right. Like kind of like brilliant. Right. Oh yeah. Wow. 
Um, because that's been my thing. So I've been playing quieter since then. <laughs> but I remember you saw me at um at a club in Seattle. What was that place called? Racer? I think it's called Racer. Oh and, and you left because I was playing too loud. You and your what? wife came. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I play too loud. Now, see, I don't remember that. It's okay. I probably Bill. was just hungry or something. <laughs> it doesn't I matter. I didn't want to eat matter. one of those cheese things they had. I think it's totally cool. And I think it's cool that Motion called it out in like 10 minutes. He's like, stop, stop, stop. Alta player is too loud. He didn't even know my name at that point, right? He had to say alta player. <laughs> That's cool, right? Oh man, yeah, that's great. Fun times, and um, <laughs> I can I can I ask you uh, another fan question because I'm kind of curious myself. Do you mind? No, no. Okay. Right. So, somebody named Gabe Terra Chiano, I think is the name. Do you know who that is? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know who that is either. Uh, I'd love to know a bit behind the process of making Have a Little Faith. Great record. What a big influence on me. The blend of different elements of American from Copeland, uh, Americana, sorry, to Copeland, to Dylan, to Ives, to Madonna, feels so seamless, not to mention an instrumentation, including clarinet and accordion. How did he, how did he, Bill, you, arrive at the final product in terms of repertoire and personnel in particular? And that, that has Don Byron on clarinet, Kermit Driscoll, as we've talked about on bass, Guy Klubasek on accordion, and Joey Barron on drums. So is that luck? Come on, Bill. That's not well, luck. You fucking, well, no, you worked but, on that project. Come on, no, man. Come on, man. Was, <laughs> don't, don't, don't put that hope out there for everybody. Like, man, it's just <laughs> luck. It, this is like a brilliant record. It's from well, 93, I think, something like that. But, you know, it was, it was another one of those prior to that. So that was like my... I've done like, oh, maybe four, I don't know, four or five of my own albums before that. I don't even remember. Something like that. Four or five, say. And my, all those first albums, 90% of the music was all my own music. Maybe there was one cover song or something on it was I was really wanted to play my own all my first records let's just say they were with a few minor exceptions it was all original music that I wrote and so that have a little faith was actually it was another sort of a it's not like the record company is telling me what to do because I wouldn't go for that but it was a suggestion with the Bob Hurwitz, who was the president of Nonsuch. He said, well, what about, have you ever thought of doing something just, because I'd done all this music, I'd shown where, that I could write music, if hopefully something. That's what it was up to that. But it, the idea was to sort of show where I was coming from. So that I took that on as okay. It seems time. This is a chance for me to just. It was kind of a combination of paying tribute to people that had inspired me, 
like you know we do a Sonny Rollins song on there. Yeah, and you play uh, "When I Fall in Love," I think, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean the music on there was it was just it was more like a overview of. I mean, you know, it, 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 it has to be limited, but it's it just showed where I was coming. You know, there's a Bob Dylan song. There's a John Hyatt song. There's there, there's different reasons for. the You know, Charles Ives and Aaron Copeland. And. Uh, you know, the Madonna's like some of the songs were had you know a lot of it had really deep personal meaning for me somehow or where people always ask about that madonna song that was a i just played it because i thought it was a great song it wasn't so much a, it was some big part of my life it was that song i heard i was in on tour you've probably had those moments you know so many times we're traveling and i was jet lagged and i was in somewhere in Norway or something. And I, I was sleeping during the day, just trying to get myself together. And there's movie. Oh, what's the name of the movie now? It's with not Sean Penn and Christopher Walken. I don't know. It's a kind of intense movie. But at the end, the very end of the film, as the credits are, that song came on. I was like, man, this is a badass song. And I just fell in love with the song. So that, ha I mean, whereas, you know, if we play a Sonny Rollins song, it's more like, oh, my God, you know, Sonny Rollins, <laughs> right. uh, my hero, you know, and or or Charles Ives, who, you know, there were different reasons for choosing those songs but it was the idea was to just kind of show where what i liked and playing with those guys that was incredible because you know there's only five people so to it was such a joy to try to figure out a way to having don byron as this that voice like i was thinking about the aaron copeland stuff that we played you know to take an orchestra piece and shrink it down to five people um that was amazing because i actually there was a section that i wanted to play that i had heard on a recording that wasn't in the it wasn't in the score it, it wasn't in the uh I forget what they call it. Like, there's a complete Billy the Kid ballet, and then there's sort of this orchestral excerpts or whatever that, that, that normally you would hear on a if the New York Phil plays it or something. But there was a section that I wanted to do that wasn't in any recordings, that wasn't in the scores that I had. So I went to the Juilliard Library and... Um, it's like you go upstairs. It's this the archive thing. I went I've, been, I, I've been there. Yes. I, I went so, there with Dave you know, I, I have to ask permission to blah, blah, blah. And I went in there and they brought out the, it wasn't the original. It was like a blueprint sort of thing of the original score, but it had, you know, Aaron Copeland's marks on, you know, they put you in this room and you can 
they bring it out and they sort of watch you to make sure you're not going to, but I was that I was able to find that section, you know, and, but it was so awesome just to see his, his hand writing. And I love seeing that. Um, I do too. And, and Bill, you were talking earlier about the inner workings of a watch, which I'm into as well. And like the inner workings of my saxophone, my con new wonder that's a hundred years old. I'd love hearing. <laughs> oh, I'm having, wow. actually having a, a whole event about it in August because I'm so fascinated by this. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so really you, you gave us the background of the music in, in your process, but how does it, how does somebody even get to that place? Like to even get to record this record. Like, how does that work? And if you don't want to share your secrets, and again, I'm going to be. Well, that's, isn't that luck? I don't know. I I don't know. I was in the right place at the right time. I don't know. You didn't have somebody cheering you on like a manager or your wife or somebody. No, that's, that's where, again, my whole life starting with my parent, my parents were always, yeah, go ahead, do it. You know, practice in the Bay. And when I think all the, racket that we were making down in our basement and they always encouraged me with music and then I had so many teachers that were there's so many there's these it's fragile you know there was so many times when I thought oh man I can't do this I there's no way I can and so many times just at that moment there'd be some guy would pat me on the back my this when I was in in Greeley I went to college there for two years, and I, I remember. Did so you were? Did you live in Greeley? We lived in Greeley. My dad taught at UNC at one point. Unbelievable. So, uh, and I, as far you as the years, weren't even born when I was there. But well, yeah, I was born in '65, so whatever. My pop taught there, and so you would have been running around. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or my dad but, was teaching you. I don't know. <laughs> but no, so did you know Buddy Baker by any chance? No. Trombone, incredible musician. He's still there. He's, I think he's in his 90s now. Um, trombone player, he played with with uh, Stan Canton and Woody Herman, you know, and he was in the jazz program there. And I'm just saying like one day I'm, <laughs> I'm walking down the hall and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I just, I wasn't cut out for this. I'm, I gotta, I think I gotta just hang it up. And just, I was really at this dark moment, just at the moment he comes walking around the corner, pats me on the bill, man, sounds so, you you really got something special, you know? (laughs) And it's like, Buddy Baker is the Luke Bergman of, of that, like he's right. He's like that guy in the background that nobody knows. I actually know him. I mean, know about him, but uh, what? Sorry, I interrupted you. I apologize. Well, no, that. just, I'm just saying that happened so many times when I was discouraged and, you know, it's, it's like such a fine, it's, it's like you're on this edge of thinking you can't do it. And, and there's just, more often than I've had the other thing happen too a few times and it can really knock you down. But more often than not, I had someone that was, you know, my wife, my daughter, my parents, my friends, my teachers that were always, you know, all those guys you mentioned, Joey and Kermit, those guys were like, you know, Kermit was there for me 
<laughs> he heard the first notes I ever wrote when no one else would even listen to him. He was like, man, that's great. You know, like cheer cheerleader guy, you know? So I mean, I just it's been really lucky. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm still on the fence about the, the, the lucky thing, but I, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but it's just, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Cause I can't, but you know, man, what you want, you really want to get honest. You know, I can't, I'm not that. I can't play that good. You know, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> like, no. Oh, come on. I mean, man. no, really. We used to like, like we did that gig in Seattle. Yeah. That was a, you know, playing your music. I was like, man, alive. That I can't. I couldn't come close to playing that. And talk about Luke, Luke's just sitting there, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, exactly. Boom. And I'm like, I'm going like one, two, one, two, three, one, two. Oh God, <laughs> shit, fuck. And I was dying and I couldn't, you know, if I had maybe a month, if we had another month, I could have got it together. But I'm just skating by. You know, I I was at I just love playing. That's all, you know. Right. I was at this party. Oh my goodness. Do you remember in like in the middle of the pandemic, there was like kind of this release where like, oh yeah, it's okay to be together, right? There was a minute, like there was a minute in there, at least in New York. <laughs> so it was at this kind of small party. It was only like three of us or five of us. And they put a recording. It's on YouTube, that U-Dub thing. We did at the University of Washington with Luke, oh, you and me wow. and Myra and Kung, right? And they Ted. had that? There was a evidence? It, it's on YouTube. There's evidence. And oh, I said, no. I said, you need to take this off. And it wasn't about you. It was about me. Cause I was like, I'm not hanging. I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can't listen to this right now. And they're like, well, it's really great, man. I was like, no, you got to take it off. So <laughs> let, let me ask you that question. Can you listen to yourself play? Bill, I, I really that's coming don't. from me. I don't in I don't really do it. I mean what you know when I make an album it's like you're super concentrated and you're checking things out but I never listen to my own. That's the only time I listen to it is when we're mixing it or something like that and then that's it and I don't and then I'll hear it by accident maybe later but I never go back and and I don't listen to tapes of gigs and I just don't I don't know I'm just trying to keep moving on ahead somehow. yeah yeah i mean fair enough I, I was just curious and uh i know that some people listen to their music to analyze it and attempt to get better but yeah really i mean that's that's huh? maybe i should be doing that i don't know but something i just i just don't really like doing that fair enough and did you really just turn 70 is that for real are you giving yeah Amazing. Mm. You look fucking handsome. You look beautiful. <laughs> and I can't believe it. And maybe people would disagree with me, but I don't know, man. I, I'm like uh, just blown away that you're still, you know, at it and you just held up this stack of music. And I know you said you don't know what it is, but I don't believe you. If you believe in luck, then, you know, you're going to. Um... But it doesn't exist really until somebody else plays it it has to be more than just me it changes so much don't you find that like if you write something 
And then you have someone else play it. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's a totally different experience. If I write something 25 years ago for, a, you know, whoever, Kurt Rosenwinkel or Chris Speed or whoever I'm writing it for. And then like Pat Metheny actually recorded one of my songs. I'm not promoting this because it's, oh, wow. it doesn't matter. But I wrote it when I was like 20 and Pat just thought it was a cool song. So we recorded it and it wow. sounds totally different than when I imagined it as a yeah. 20. Okay. Maybe I was 22. I don't remember. I'm not great with that kind of stuff, but I was definitely a young kid and he just found it and Kong showed it to him and he's like, yeah, I'll record it. And it's just like, what? Wow. Or like playing with you, like one of my heroes you know, and then we're playing one of my pieces and you're like, I, you, you think you're just whatever skating or whatever you think you're doing. I'm like, uh, this is just, it's hero worship for me. I'm like, all right. Yeah. But it just sounds so different. Did that sound like a plug well, name drop? I was playing it all wrong. You were, there was no chart. There is no wrong. <laughs> no. Well, no, all, right, all right. Huh? No, it's just, it's, it really is. There's something that's what's been hard about all this time. It's not, we're all just in our own heads all the time. And for me, music is about getting it out, you know, interacting. So, All right. So in conclusion, did I read you this quote about Hendrix? I know I told you about the Hendrix uh, uh, thing in the beginning, right? So unrelated, I didn't read this, right? I'd like to finish with this. This is a planned score by the way. So I want to, can I read this quote? Yeah. yeah. So there's this guy, David Beckett. And in my social media post, he says randomly, and, and I've never really talked to people about that uh, moment in 1991 or 92 about you being compared to Hendrix. He says, here's a question for Bill. How so many years after Hendrix, did you come up with such a singular musical conception using guitar? Did you consciously strive for a unique sound or was it the product of other choices? And I was like, what? <laughs> like that, that was a, that was the beginning of my conversation with you, which I had like totally contrived or like totally composed was I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up that quote from so many years ago. And here's a kid asking you that question. I don't know. It's kind of funny. So did you, I don't understand the question myself, but uh, I can read it again if you want. Well, no, I mean, I, whatever it is that I sound like, I think it's, it has a lot to do with. Uh, I, your limitations, I think, are what. If we're, oh man, it's a number of things, you know, being honest with where we come from and not being afraid to show what we like. And, but then there's this thing about, like, I, I try to play like this guy and I try to play like, you know, I, I'd like to play like Jimi Hendrix, but I can't get that right. And I'd like to play like John McLaughlin and I can't do that. And I want to play like Wes Montgomery. I'm trying my best. I love all these guys but I'm limited. I have my limitations. So what's left is what you get. <laughs> it's uh, if I could play like all those guys, then I wouldn't be, 
Hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we went back and forth, this guy, David, and I, and his point was that there's a lot of amazing guitar player, you know, players out there, but not many of them have their own sound. And in fact, I think he said there's a lot of brilliant or amazing guitar players or, you know, whatever. And he goes, but not, but how does Bill just, and so you're saying you get your personal sound out of limitations because you can't imitate other people. Is that what you're saying? Or well, am I? Kind of, yeah. But I mean, I also, it's just has something to do with what you love. Like if, like I, there was a time when I was more, I would be embarrassed to play something that I kind of like, you know, oh, that Burt Bacharach song, you know, I actually like it, but people think it's corny or something. So I'm not going to play. I'm talking about earlier on. I was more worried about what I thought people might think or something. And so first of all, just to shake all that off and then just to be honest with, you know, that I grew up in Denver in the fifties and I watched the Mickey Mouse club on TV and I watched leave it to beaver and I like the Beatles and uh, whatever, just that's just trying to be straight, trying to not be something that I'm not. (laughs) And, and, uh, and then just keep trying. (laughs) I, I still believe everyone has their own sound, you know, like, when we talk, you can, you don't sound like anybody else when you speak, I don't think. Right. Nobody does. Right. So Yeah. So, and I think it's the same with, if we just, for just honest, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. And it feels like, you know, we could make a, you know, or you could make this like overlying statement, you know, or like some kind of meme where you're saying, and no, nobody cannot sound like themselves or whatever that meme looks like. But at the same time, <laughs> if people just realize they can't be anything but themselves, but yet at the same time, some people are good at uh, doing imitations, you know, or like, you know, they yeah, are. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I, that there was a time I was so into Jim Hall if you had heard me like in 1972, I mean, I wasn't, I couldn't do it, but that's what I was. Everything was about him, you know, for me and the, the sound and I had the guitar and I uh, played all those songs and whatever that it was. But then I realized, well, wait a minute, that's not, he's playing what he knows. He's playing his life experience. You yeah, know? that's and, how he sounds, right? It's and, not yeah, and, yeah, and then I, it was sort of like a, the people that inspired me, I started realizing, well, wait a minute, Sonny Rollins is playing, he's playing the songs that he grew up with and the songs that he saw in movies or whatever and so i thought well maybe i should play the songs that i saw in movies and songs that i grew up with and i think i learned that from those guys you know well somebody mentioned to me in conversation 
you know, could you ask Frizzell, how, how has music changed from the ECM days until now? And that seems like a, whatever, you're into technique, you're into the inner workings of a guitar. Did, I mean, a uh, watch, did things, did you consciously change your playing? I don't think you sound different. I just think you're playing, you know, just choosing different repertoire or writing new music. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, nothing, there's nothing. I mean, I'm taking these tiny things moving these tiny increments. I mean, I hope it's changed because I'm trying to get better, but that, that always bothers me. You know, that, that thing, the ECM thing and the downtown thing and the Americana thing and the blah, blah, blah. Bothers and they me too. A lot of it was all happening at the same time. You know, I was playing with, I was playing with Ronald Shannon Jackson and I was playing with whatever an ECM record at the same time. It wasn't like there was this thing and then there was that thing, or I was playing with Zorn and I was playing with Paul Motion at the same time. Or, um, all these things, it, I wasn't thinking about these different stages or I wasn't thinking about what it's called, you know, just that thing about all the energy that goes into trying to let's find a name for this particular or, or that, you know, I went to Nashville and I made a record and I mean, I was playing that stuff's <laughs> happened long before I went to Nashville. Uh, although going there, I learned a shitload of, it was mind blowing to get to play with those guys, you know, but it's not like suddenly I, became interested in country music or something. I mean, that was part of growing up in Colorado or part of, you know, listening to Bob Dylan or listening to Jimi Hendrix or it was all in there all along. The people seemed to want to chop it up into this. Oh, you, there was this and then there was this and this and this and then you change and you did. And I don't really change what I do from it's the context that I'm in or the surroundings might change, but I'm sort of just, just in there. You're just being I, you. That's that, that was my point. I don't know if I, I hope I didn't offend you, uh, Bill. My, my point is that, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, a, a friend of mine who I've known since high school. So like 15, 14, 15, 16 said, man, you sound the same as you did in high school. And I thought he was dissing, you know, give me a hard time, you know? And he goes, no, I'm just, he goes, I'm just saying that you've, you always sound like you, no matter what the context, whether it's a pop gig or you know, like you said, like doing a free jazz gig or whatever, he goes, yeah. you, you just sound like you. I hadn't seen this guy in years. And he goes, I heard your latest record. And he goes, you just sound the way you did. And that's what I'm saying. When, when, Somebody asks you, you know, ask a question, what's the difference between your ECM days and your JMT days and then playing with Zorn or playing, you know, Bonanza or whatever you're doing? It, it's still you, Bill, right? I, it can't be anybody else. Yeah, exactly. That's what you were saying about the language. It can't be. I'm always going to be running for the limelight until the day I fuck. I'm going to be grandpa. I'm now the uncle, but I'll be grandpa. But like, pay attention to me, man. Right. Loud and verbose and like using my hands and shit. I'm, it's just it's just who I am. 
and I, I, I just, I can't change it. I don't really care to change it. I hope it's not hurting anybody, but with you where, you know, I can remember this concert, you know, from 20 years ago, you know, with Joey and I'm just like, you know, Bill is just Bill and it's okay. If he wants to do this beautiful, you know, song and, or if he wants to, nothing's not beautiful. Right. But you know, what's the difference? I don't really get it. I don't understand the judgment. I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. What? No, I, I, I agree. I don't get it either. All right. So we're making strong opinions. Do you want to take it out? Maybe one last question from the um, uh, Bill Frizzell is a magic man. The latest comment. Um, so I, I guess, I guess I have one last thing. I know you're ready to go. You look to the side. No, 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 it's, it's raining and it's really nice. No, I, I can stay here as long as you want. Right. Okay. So I have this, I have a kind of cool little story that's hopefully relatable. I saw you on a nerd guitar podcast and you were talking about your guitars and your pedals and stuff. And it was great. I don't remember the name of the podcast guys. Great. I'll, I'll try to put the link in the bottom. And you had bought this Trini Lopez guitar. Do you remember buying that guitar? I don't know. Well, yeah, but that's a long time ago. Yeah, we're old, Bill. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. And I wish uh, I had kept that guitar. I sold uh, it. Wait, I... wait, hold, hold on. T- hold your story. Because okay. I have my own story, which is I had this student named Taos. He's a Danish kid. And he's on my house, at my house, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. And he had gotten some money from the Danish government. He goes, I'm, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to buy a guitar. And I took him to that place in the East Village. Do you remember that place, a guitar shop or a West Village? Sorry. Um, which Matt Umanoff? Or, yes, or? Matt Umanoff's place. And so I take this boy in there and he's my student at the time. And, you know, and Matt sells him a Trini uh, Lopez guitar. Wow. And also then but sold it to him for like three grand. I think yours was like more like 50 bucks or something like this, right? Not that bad, but. Something like that. It was, I should never have sold it. So Taos, my student at the time, buys a guitar. His bank declines the transaction because it was 3,000 US. They're like, are you sure you want to spend this money? It was this whole fucking thing. Oh, wow. So I had to co-sign for him like or whatever it was. And he got the guitar. And then he went on the internet and looked up Trini Lopez and said, oh, he's not an avant-garde guitar player. So he sold it. Oh, man. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Like, you, th- that guitar was made really well it had it's a great those are great and now it's used to there was a time you could actually get them for a reasonable price now they're ridiculous no no again three grand five grand i don't remember the exact price but it was more than taos could spend and then he looked him on the internet and trini was just playing you know his music which is brilliant by the way yeah, he should have kept the guitar though. i know i i know but i he's like, you know, he likes to play free music and he goes, this is not the guitar for me. I'm selling it. Because he would have been, that would have been a kind of a thing, you know? Right. People would have, oh man, he's the guy. You tell him, man. The guy with, you know, that guy that plays the Trini Lopez guitar? I love that I I randomly am on the internet looking you up just to see what I can see 
And then you're talking about this Trini Lopez guitar. And also the kid <laughs> that you were talking to, like totally brushed it off. Do you remember that interview? That's the pedals interview and the amps and all that shit. And you're like, I had this Trini Lopez guitar. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyway, so about the Telecaster. <laughs> it's funny. And Taos was like, yeah, no, I'm not into this shit. But I kept saying it's, it's a really nice guitar, Taos. It's built really well, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it'll do serve you well. And he's like, nah, I, I'm selling it. I was like, all right. Because he did like what Trini... Uh, we should. I should put a link to Tr uh, Trendy Lopez song on this uh, uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah. That's cool, right? It's a cool guitar. Totally cool, like really cool. <laughs> and it was a, uh, it was heavy. That's what I remember. It was a mm. heavy guitar. No, like I mean, yeah. like weight wise. Well, could, yeah, they're big. You know. Yeah. So <laughs> do you? That's a good memory, right? Yeah. And if you could see Taos, he looks like he's fucking 10 years old, right? I mean, he's like 30, right? But he looks like he's 10. And so he's got this big guitar on his back and he just spent like 10 grand on it or whatever it was. <laughs> and then he looks him up on the internet like, I don't really like this. Uh, I don't like his plane. I think I'm going to sell it, right? I don't know. I thought it was cute. So is there uh, anything else, Bill, that are you going to talk about the trio or is that just off? The we never did talk about the trio. I mean, um, I think Reed is convinced that you don't want to talk about it. You no, I do. It was that's or, like the Paul. greatest thing in my. You know, we so Paul called me. I went over. I have talked about this a few times, but the first day I went over to meet Paul was it was. Paul and Mark Johnson trio. Mark Johnson playing bass, and. They were, I came in and they were, I'd never met Mark and I never met Paul. I was like, seriously freaked out. Just, wow. Uh, and the, they're in there talking, Bill Evans had passed away not that long before. And they're talking about Bill Evans, memories of Bill Evans. And here I am, this electric guitar player coming in to play with those guys with their association with Bill Evans. And I think the first song we played was My Man's Gone Now, George Gershwin's song that Paul had, that they had both played with Bill Evans. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know. And that's a song I'd been trying to play for many, many years. And I'm st I still play it often. But that was kind of a heavy moment for, to play that song with those guys at that moment. And But that was the beginning of, then I'd go to Paul's like every week or whatever it was, you know, then Mark left and went with Stan Getz. Then uh, different people would come by. Marty Ehrlich played for a while. Then Ed Schuler came and then Joe came and uh, oh, Stan Strickland came. Uh, all, it was this whole, he was, Paul was, it was so amazing because I was sort of in the, where Paul was really committing to writing his own music. So I was right in there on the ground floor. You know, I'd, sometimes I'd go over there, just me and him, and he would have me play through these things that he wrote. And it's just like, what a privilege to be 
in on that. You know, he just wanted to hear someone else, like what I was saying about you got to hear somebody else play. He wanted to hear someone else play it. And we rehearsed for just all different combinations of people coming through. Eventually, Joe came and then it wasn't until the fall again. I'm, here we go, Boston again. The very <laughs> first gig we did was at Riles in Boston. Wow! In, in late in the fall of this was 1981. So we, uh, I'd been rehearsing with with him for like nine, ten months before we ever did a gig, just working on stuff. And the first gig was Joe and Ed Schuller and me and Paul Quartet. Then we went to Europe with Billy Drews on saxophone and Joe and Ed Schuller. And it was a quintet for a while. And that's, we recorded, that was the first album I did with him. And that went on for, then Jim Pepper came in the band. Wow. And so eventually there was, I remember one night we were in Hamburg and there was a moment in the music where Ed Schuller was not playing and Pepper was not playing. And it was just Joe and Paul and me. And I knew we could, it was like sort of this, I could tell <laughs> something was going on. Paul, I think that was the, he he's mentioned that as sort of a moment when he realized that, oh, wow, we could actually do this as a trio, you know? And then so soon after that, we started, that was like 83 or something like that. And, and at the beginning it was like, whoa, this is, I mean, it was so awesome, but it was frightening. Like having this, that space I mean, it's more than just bass, but there's this whole frequency range that right. opens up with the sound of my guitar and then the sound of the the drums sound different. You know, there's like this whole and I remember at the beginning, I was more I was like in a panic, like I would try to fill in all this stuff. You know, it took, a, <clears throat> I think, even for Paul too, like to cool out and like okay wait so you don't have to i don't always have to play a bass note you know it doesn't i don't i don't have to fill in those and it just you know it it grew into this uh where there was just no thought anymore it just and those first few years we rehearsed a lot like we'd rehearse over at joe's loft on 23rd street and but then after a few years, no more rehearsals. And, you know, all those years we played at the van, it was incredible. Those, like some of we wouldn't rehearse. We'd only have these two weeks every year, you know, at the Vanguard. We're, there was a point where we, we stopped doing tours of Europe and just basically had that Vanguard gig. And for however many years, and no rehearsal. Joe would walk in like five minutes before the gig, just walk on stage, and we'd just bam, it just start up where it left off, you know. No, that was unbelievable time for me. And 30, it's just 30 years, you know, with you. 30 years that band was together? 
well, or the trio was a couple of years later, but from, you know, he passed away in 2011 and yeah. I started playing with him in 81. So amazing. I, I guess it's, uh, it's, first of all, it's amazing to hear the, the, the roots of that, that band, but it's also, I mean, it's a whole recent human feel, which has been together for 30 years, uh, my band or the band that wow. I belong to. It, the whole reason we dropped the bass was because we're like, well, if Motion and Frizzell and Lovano, you know, don't need a, a, a bass player, neither do we. So we were like, fuck it. Right. <laughs> but then did I love that? And and also when I was talking to Reed and Reed Anderson and all, all these people working up to this interview, which has been in the works for like, what, three weeks, maybe a month. It, it's everybody's like, yeah, that band was such a huge influence on me. I don't know if if people understand what a huge influence it had on so many of us, and it's a brilliant thing, and it's an amazing band, and I I I I guess I'm I, I guess I'm I wonder you know you know as we get on with our lives you know do we understand the impact we've had on other people like that's what I'm curious about like are you I do you walk around and understand the impact you've had on you know, young people or, or people even in my age group, you know, I mean, I grew up on you, man. I grew up on your music. I grew up on Paul's music. When I got on stage with him, I was so nervous. I played even louder than I normally do. Right. As I mentioned earlier, <laughs> right. You know, that feeling. And so it's just, I'm just wondering, like, do you, do you walk out of the room going, you know, I'm making an influence or, or, mm-hmm. or what? I'm not thinking about that. I mean, people like you're saying this now and people say things to me like that, but inside I'm still that, you know, like, how am I going to figure out what, how do I play this F7 chord or something? Right. It's just, I'm just trying to figure out how to play. So that just (laughs) never goes away. So if you had, I mean, let's, I think it's time to wrap things up. If you had something you wanted to say to the younger generation, other than everything you've said from playing at the Holiday Inn and weddings and uh, the siren going by, everybody, that's in my house. I Um, thought it was that here. No, it's over here. It was very loud. But uh, if you wanted to, you know, pass on some wisdom, again, other than this brilliant, amazing interview, which I thank you for, is there something you know that you would like to say to 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 the folks coming up who respect you and all these people who wrote you comments? I didn't even get through half of them, by the way. So um, I know you're not on social media, but I can keep going and going and going and going and going and going. So, but they're all along the same lines. They just think you're brilliant. So um. <laughs> I talked a lot to give you a minute to think, but uh, maybe you have some. I mean, I can't. You know, every once in a while I'll do those quote unquote master class. <laughs> I always feel uncomfortable with that because we're all in the same boat if we're trying to play, right? I, I I don't feel, I mean, I guess I'm, okay, I'm 70 years old, so I've been trying for a while, but as far as me I, I'm, I don't I don't have any answers other than just music never lets me down. I'll tell you that. If I stay true to it, 
I mean, that's what got me through this whole last year and more. You know, like I said, first thing I did was just grab my guitar and I realized how much I love just sitting there playing that thing. And it's always got something else. You know, every time you touch it, every note, <laughs> every note you play is going to, it's like a question. Okay, what's the next note? What are you going to do? Now it just keeps going and going and going. It never, there's no end to it. So that's kind of miraculous, you know, and just if you love it and you just, that's, it'll, music is really pretty great, you know? <laughs> and I think everybody, I think everybody knows what they, that thing about not being afraid to show if you really love some sound, just don't be afraid to put it out there because that'll come through way strong. If you, if you like it and you put it out there, that's going to come through way stronger than trying to figure out what somebody else. Likes. I've got a helicopter dive bombing my place. Yeah, There's probably something going on. It's beautiful. Thank you, uh, Mr. Frizzell. Thank you very much for being on the show. I really oh, appreciate it. And uh, what? <laughs> no, it's like the roof's going to come off. Um, You're over in Ditmas or something like that, right? Yeah. Where right. are you? Uh, Park Slope. So we're not so... Can you hear this helicopter? Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear it. I mean, it's not... Wow, it's like... Oh, no, I can't hear it out my window. I can hear it through your audio. It sounds like it's literally going to land on my roof. Yeah, there's probably some mass shooting or something like that. But wait, let's not end on that. Let me tell you how much I love you and have a beautiful night. And every everybody we've been with, Bill Frizzell today and tonight or whatever it is at this point. Thank you, Bill. Have a good evening. Well, it's so good to talk to you. Hope I'll see you in real life soon. So. Right. That'll be great. All right. Much love to you, man. You too. All right. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Constant Constance. Tune in every week for new conversations. And if you want even more, check out Andrew's Patreon for more exclusive content and additional conversations. Hosted and produced by Andrew D'Angelo. Edited and mixed by Lucy Little. Original music by Andrew D'Angelo and Maximilian Moore D'Angelo. Intro is Henrietta Weeks. Thanks so much. See you next time. You fucking, yeah, you fucking rocked it. Like, she doesn't, it. she doesn't know she says podcast, right? <laughs> like, she doesn't even.